Hey, everybody. Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ and Bucky back together. Uh, after taking a little break here, Buck, um, we had a, a week unlike any other um, that, that I've ever seen in the 20-plus years I've been around the National Football League. You've been around a little longer uh, than I have, uh, but just a you know a horrific scene there on Monday night, and um, you had the health of Damar Hamlin very much in jeopardy. Uh, and just a crazy, a crazy, crazy uh, time. Um, fortunately, as we're recording this right now, um, Buck, it looks like we do have some positive news. You can see it on the screen uh, as we're talking right now. Uh, the latest updates on the health of DeMar Hamlin. Looks like we're getting some positive news here. Yeah, we're getting some positive news. And, you know, DJ, it's unfortunate, but sometimes out of tragedy comes triumph. And what we have seen is the National Football League community really come together in support of DeMar. And I think it's a reminder of the values of football that we all learned. You know, like Bill Curry put out the thing, the huddle, where he talked about just the kaleidoscope of people that are in the huddle and how we can come from different backgrounds and different walks of life, but to get together for a common purpose. And I think as you and I have walked this journey together in and around the National Football League, that brotherhood, that bond that is formed uh, through our connection with football is everlasting. And so even though it was very horrific and scary and, you know, the prayer warriors went out on Monday night after the incident, I think what we've seen from that point has been beautiful in terms of justice and love and support that people have really bestowed upon DeMar, but really on each other. And so I just hope that he continues to trend in a positive fashion. I hope the football world continues to pull together because I think it's been a great illustration of what can happen when everyone comes together and puts all their differences aside uh, for the common goal of a human being. And for those, if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the updates, as we're recording this right now, obviously new information is coming in constantly. Uh, but our Ian Rappaport reporting that DeMar Hamlin opened his eyes last night. He's responsive. He's gripping the hands of those close to him. Um, it is uh, it is definitely positive news that we've received over the last 24 hours. And um, he's neurologically intact, which is, uh, which is a great sign uh, as well. So we're getting some good news again. We continue to pray as it's... Uh, Still in very critical condition here. Continue to pray, and what a unbelievable job uh, by the medical personnel uh, on that field at that time to really save the life of Demar Hamlin. And you mentioned it, Buck. It, it kind of shows the best of us um, in this football world. It is, you know, mm -hmm. as we say all the time, the NFL is a small community. We all know each other. Uh, we're around each other for years, decades, even. Um, and the players have gone to school together. They've played with and against each other. They've trained with each other in the offseason. It is a tight-knit community. And um, as you you said it perfectly, I think that's one of the blessings to come out of this is that we've we've seen an example of that, of, uh, of, the, of the really wonderful side of this great sport that we love. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great to see everyone come together. I think seeing the players, the coaches, and everyone around there, just the outpouring of support and also the fans, because the fans have been great in terms of making sure that Absolutely. they've also been very, very supportive. And the prayer warriors have been up uh, in this. And I just think um, sometimes we forget because we're so entrenched in the game that there is a, a human element to the guys that participate in the game. So it's great to see the humanity, the great signs of humanity that we've seen in the fallout. No doubt. Well, we uh, we did not do our second show of the week. Um, just didn't feel right at, at that point in time to be talking about anything other than, than his health and his uh, – uh, his recovery. So that's where all of our attention has been focused. Um, but it's great news that we have. Things are trending very positively right now for him and his health. And we continue to pray for him. We are going to talk some football. I know it's uh, 
obviously nowhere near the most important thing any of us are thinking about right now. Um, but we're going to chat. We're going to chat some football again from all of our family here at NFL Media, from our group here uh, with the Move the Sticks crew. Uh, thoughts and prayers, absolutely 100%. Uh, with the Hamlin family at this point in time. All right, Buck, uh, again, it does, it still, it feels a little weird to be talking about football uh, considering uh, the situation with Mar Hamlin and his health. But again, positive news that we're getting there. That has encouraged us. And, um, you know, look, I, I, am, uh, I am excited about what we have ahead of us here on the football field. We've got some, some meaningful games coming up. We are headed towards the postseason. It is wide open. Um, and I thought it'd be fun to kind of dig in and, and talk a little playoff football right now. We're also going to uh, come back and talk about this national championship game between Georgia and TCU. We'll get a chance to preview that in a few moments mm-hmm. uh, as well. But let's start, first of all, here, NFC East. Uh, we are going to have a well-represented NFC East with three teams in the postseason. So uh, I guess my question to you, Buck, the team that you think has a chance to, to make the biggest run, you know, who is the most dangerous uh, of those three teams? Thinking about the Cowboys. Uh, the Eagles uh, need one win to secure the division, and the Giants have punched their ticket as well. Yeah, no, it's funny. Like uh, the the Philadelphia Eagles have been able to go wire to wire as like the top team in football, and yet a couple of hiccups has the football world questioning how good the Philadelphia Eagles are. I still believe they're best positioned to have the deepest run of the mentioned teams in the NFC East because they have the best team. When you look at this team from top to bottom on both sides of the ball, their talent, their A pluses. On each side, you think about their offensive line and what they can do to control the line of scrimmage, even though Lane Johnson has been out and is dealing with injuries. This is a team that still has their way. The key is if Jalen Hurts is available. If Jalen Hurts is available and able to play the way that he's played for the entirety of the season, the Philadelphia Eagles are going to have an opportunity to go to the championship game and beyond. He's a dominant player. He's played at an MVP level. You see the impact that he not only has on their passing game, but on their running game. This is a team that is completely different when he's under center. And if he's under center, it's the scary team that has dominated the league from beginning to end. All right, let me get to the Giants here real quick, because I feel like so much of the discussion in this division has been, and rightfully Mm -hmm. so, on the two teams at the top there with the Eagles and the Cowboys. The Giants right now, Buck, this is the sixth seed, and they are, man, they're just playing with with house money at this point in time. There's no pressure Mm -hmm. on them. The defense is real. The defense is legit. They've been able to conjure up just enough offense uh, to win enough ball games to get them into the postseason. But as it stands right now, Minnesota uh, would be the three seed. So you've got the New York Giants and that defense, uh, which you would think would travel pretty well, would be going on the road to take on the Vikings, a team that they lost to by three points earlier this season, very evenly matched. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I wouldn't put it past them to go get a win, would you? No, it's so funny, man. We've been working together for too long because my initial thought was the New York Giants. But then I didn't want to have to talk about it's predicated on (laughs) matchups and those things. But let's be honest about the New York Giants. Um, This is a rock solid football team. Uh, This is a team that is built to really be problematic in the postseason, because if they're able to get the game on their terms, DJ, they can make every team in the playoff field uncomfortable. Their defense with Weak Martindale, they create problems, they create turnovers, they're solid in what they do offensively. They can run the football, and Daniel Jones has become one of the better dual-threat quarterbacks that we've seen. And so if this team is able to dictate the terms, where they're able to run the football and do some of the things that they like to do, they're going to make it tough because they typically don't beat themselves, and that typically guarantees it's going to be a fourth-quarter affair, and if you get it into the fourth quarter, 15 minutes, anything can happen. That's why the Giants are a scary team to face in the postseason. 
how about the Cowboys? Um, do you envision any chance this team could you know, make it to the NFC Championship game? Uh, you figure they're going to probably have to go through Philadelphia, probably have to go through San Francisco. Um, you know, I, it's still a talented group. I know you can kind of talk about this piece is missing, that piece is missing, and they've been inconsistent. Dak's been all up and down, turned the ball over too much. But I still feel like the ceiling of this team is extremely high. Oh, the talent is there. Like, there's no question about the talent. I think there's another T word that you need to talk about when you talk about the Cowboys, the toughness, mm-hmm. because this team is going to have to exhibit toughness to be able to move forward in the postseason. And that toughness is not just physical because they're going to have to defend the run and run the football and those things. But does this team have the mental toughness to play the game with the discipline and emotional control that you have to play to advance in the tournament? We can talk about the talent all day, but to me, this tournament uh, appearance will be about their toughness. If this team is tough enough, they'll go on. But if not, they'll be one and done. And it'll lead to more questions about the direction of the franchise and if Mike McCarthy is the guy to be able to get this team to the next level. It's all about the toughness when I'm looking at the Cowboys. Man, it's all right in front of them, though. I still feel like this NFC's, uh, you know, you got a chance here. You got a chance to go on a runner for the Dallas Cowboys. I don't like their chances of winning the division. I think the Philadelphia Eagles get Jalen Hurts back this week. Uh, I think they wrap up that number one overall seed. They wrap up the NFC East. Um, all right, Buck, you're uh, it's on you right now because we have a chance to have, gosh, what would this be? We, we, we had our alma maters play each other in, in football this year in an unbelievable game, which your Tar Heels mm-hmm. won, wild game. Um, we had, obviously, I'm a Padre fan, you're a Dodger fan. We had that thing. Then we had Jags come out to SoFi and beat the stuffing out of the Chargers. So we've had three oh, move yeah. the sticks matchups. We've got we've got a shot at a fourth, but you got to go and handle the Tennessee Titans. So if you can, if the Jags can beat the Titans on Saturday night, we are staring at most likely the Chargers have to go and, and win their game against Denver on the road, a Denver team that's been mm-hmm. kind of a hot mess. But if they do, we are headed towards another move the sticks matchup. Can you can you get that done? Can your Jags get that done against the Titans? It'd be crazy, DJ. It'd be crazy to watch. It'd be crazy because the Tennessee Titans have been a thorn in the Jaguar side for years. And this is a real rivalry, like one that goes all the way back to the late 90s. Uh, 1999, the Titans knocked off the Jaguars three times when the Jaguars had a 14-2 and season and then knocked them off again uh, to be able to go to the Super Bowl. And so there's a lot of uh, heartbreak when it comes to the Jaguars squaring off against the Titans. But This is a Jaguars team that is really exciting. And I am excited because, one, I think it'll be the first time that the nation has an opportunity to tune in and look at the progress that the Jaguars have made. Trevor Lawrence has been everything that Trevor Lawrence was expected to be coming out of Clemson. He has really thrived and flourished under Doug Peterson's tutelage. Doug Peterson has done a great job of really building this offense around Trevor Lawrence's talents. And since the Denver game in week nine, Trevor Lawrence has been terrific. He is thrown with outstanding touch, timing, and precision. He's shown playmaking ability. And the thing that he's really become is he's become a franchise quarterback who has that clutch gene that everyone is always talking about when it comes to the quarterback. Can you put it on his back and allow him to go do it? So now he has an opportunity in a big stage. DJ, they're saying it may be 70,000 people in the building, 70,000 plus, the first time since 2012 that that many people have gone to a Jaguars game it's going to be a big game feel, a big game environment and atmosphere. I can't wait because look, this team is ready to go, but they're going to have to knock out the bully. And the bully in the Tennessee Titan is going to really come out swinging because the one thing that we know about the Titans, 
their physicality, their toughness, and the way that they play under Mike Vrabel. There are no easy wins. This is going to be a fist fight. Uh, I can't wait to see it on Saturday night. All right, one more question about your Jags here. They've won four in a row. Last two games, only given up a field goal in, in both games. What has been the key to this defense playing at the level they're playing at right now? You know, it's funny because uh, having a conversation with uh, defensive end Josh Allen, he talked about the team just kind of understanding who they are and the identity. Doug Peterson has spent the entire year trying to teach these guys the process of winning games, focusing on practice, focusing on the preparation, not getting too far in the weeds, not worrying about what's behind you, just focus on, on what you have. But Josh Allen talked about they played the Tennessee Titans early and Derrick Henry was having a monster game. Derrick Henry had 94 yards in the first quarter and a half. And finally, Shaquille Quarterman hit him and made him fumble. And that exhibition of physicality changed the way the Jaguars have played. And so from that, they've understood that you got to you got to play to a certain standard when it comes to the physical play, particularly as you get closer to the postseason. So that's been one of the big keys. And the other key has been the ability to take the ball away. We know it. We talk about it every week. Everyone knows what it is when it comes to winning games. The number one deciding factor in football, turnovers. If you can protect the ball and take the ball away, you have a chance of winning. The Jaguars have started to take the ball away, and that is why they've been on the street. Yeah, well, Tennessee Titans, uh, everything to play for for them as well. This has been a reeling team. They have lost a zillion games in a row. Count them up. One, two, three, four, five, six games in a row. But they only need to win one. Uh, they win one, and they get themselves into they get themselves into the tournament. So we'll see if they can turn that around behind Josh Dobbs. I, I like your Jags. I like the opportunity we have to uh, to see each other, have a little dinner in Jacksonville uh, a week from now. Uh, all right, another game, which is a win and in for the Green Bay Packers. They are at home. They are playing the Lions. The Packers clinch a, a win, uh, a w- clinch a berth with a playoff win. The Lions can clinch. Uh, with a win against Green Bay and a Seattle loss versus the Rams. Might be a little more difficult on that end. Uh, but I'm looking forward to watching this one. It's going to be cold, um, and it is going to be a big-time, big-time matchup there with a Lions team that is great at home offensively on the road, not quite as good, uh, and a Packers team that, look, they, they're peaking at the right time. Aaron Rodgers feeling himself a little bit. All signs point to them uh, you know, winning this ballgame and getting into the tournament. But do you think the Lions can spoil that? Oh, I think the Lions certainly have an opportunity to spoil it. And I know uh, Tisha Chagrin, our guy, Nabil, who is excited and all in on the Packers making a, <laughs> a, a, a deftifying run at a Super Bowl. But no, the Packers are playing well. The thing that I wonder is, in a game like this, can Matt LaFleur stick to the script? The script for the Packers of late has been run the football, play good defense, and sprinkle in a little bit of the MVP, Aaron Rodgers. Can they stick to it in a big game? Because normally what happens, you go back to your habits and the habits in Green Bay would suggest that, hey, you put the ball in Aaron Rodgers' hands, you let him throw it all over the yard because that's the way that the team has played for a decade and a half. But this is a team that is built to run the football. And can they run it at the Detroit Lions? And will they be committed to running the football if it doesn't go well early in the game? Because the Lions do this. The Lions put points on the board. Uh, Eight times this year, they've been over 30 points uh, offensively. Jared Goff, if given, given an opportunity to get in rhythm, man, he could carve you up with surgical precision. And so this is all about the Packers offense being able to control the tempo and running the football and playing an old school style of ball that sometimes doesn't jive well in Green Bay. Well, I love I love the Detroit Lions rookie class. We've talked about them all year long on with the sticks. They are uh, really trending in the right direction. All these young, talented mm-hmm. players they have. The number, the number that I've got in my head, Buck, 320. 
320 yards the Carolina Panthers ran against the Detroit Lions a couple weeks ago. I can't get that number out of my head. I can't see them going on the road at Lambeau. I think LaFleur does stick to the script, to the winning formula. I think they hand it off. Only Aaron Rodgers turns the ball over like he did in their first meeting. I think the Green Bay Packers, uh, much to the uh, the joy of Nabil, are headed to the postseason. I don't think they're going to do much when they get there, Buck. Um, but I do think the Green Bay Packers are going to punch their ticket. Uh, that'll be a fun one to watch. That's Sunday Night Football, by the way, 8.20 uh, Eastern Time on NBC. You can check out that Lions-Packers game. Titans-Jags, uh, that will be Saturday. Bucky will be there, 8.15 p.m. That is on ESPN and on ABC. All right, Buck, let's dig into it here. National Championship game. I don't know that we all anticipated this one. I think Georgia being there, yeah, we saw that coming. But TCU... Mm-hmm. Uh, coming off the year they had last year, Sonny Dykes does an unbelievable job. They are going to be playing for a championship against the Georgia Bulldogs. I, I guess let's uh, let's start first on the Georgia side of things because we didn't talk about them much. Uh, we're talking about the semifinal games, what they're able to get mm-hmm. done there. I, uh, my first question for you, and I'm curious on this one because every year there's certain players that teams like, and they go, look, I know nobody likes this guy, but I kind of like him. I would draft him. I know everybody thinks this guy's a free agent. I would draft him. I think he's got some redeeming qualities. Stetson Bennett has been that guy. And talking to some GMs and, and personnel mm-hmm. directors, like, look, he's 25 years old. Uh, you know, I get all that. I'm not saying he's going to end up being a starting quarterback in the NFL, but I'm saying if I'm sitting there in the sixth round, this dude can – he is absolutely exceptional at, at reading coverage. He gets the ball where it needs to go. I mean, he's made some big throws. I mean, big-time throws, over-the-top throws. Uh, you've seen mm-hmm. him layer the ball a little bit, show you some touch. He's going to be tiny, but if the first overall pick in the draft is not big uh, and Bryce Young, I don't see why you couldn't expend a uh, you know fifth, sixth-round pick on Stetson Bennett, uh, who's undersized in his own right, but has been, man, he has been a really, really good football player. So it's funny, DJ, we always talk about the league as a copycat league. And so teams are going to look at the San Francisco 49ers and the success that they had with Brock Purdy, and they're going to wonder, who is the sixth or seventh round pick that we can invest in that might give us more bang for the buck if surrounded by the right weapons? Well, when you think about Stetson Bennett, yeah, he's an older player at 25, but he has been terrific with the Georgia Bulldogs. And I know everyone is going to talk about, yeah, but look at all the talent that he has, and he's a game manager and those things. I think there's more than enough evidence on tape that when Stetson Bennett has to make plays, that he's capable of making plays. Now, I'm not going to sit here and sell him as a first-round pick and say that he's a franchise guy. But, DJ, this year we have seen 64 different starting quarterbacks in the National Football League. And so when you think about that, you better have someone in your development of a pipeline that has the ability to get in a game and get you out of a game and make the plays that are there. And when you look at his track record, you look at what he's been able to do in Georgia in big games, I think Stetson Bennett certainly is going to have a market for his services on day three. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the playoff run last year. Um, and even if you look at the SEC championship game, which they lost to Alabama, um, had some turnovers later in that game. But 29 of 48, 340 yards, three touchdowns, two picks. They go to the playoffs, 313 yards against Michigan, three touchdowns, no, no picks. Uh, they beat Alabama 33 to 18. He goes, you know, well, yeah, modest 224 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Uh, doesn't turn the ball over. He can use his legs, run, make some things happen that way. I don't know. I mean, I think he's a fun player, and I think he's a winning player, and I think there's a spot for him somewhere at some point in time uh, in the draft. I know this guy's not draft eligible for Georgia, but when you watch them, the two guys that jump out more than any other, I mean, when you look at Jalen Carter on defense, he is draft eligible. He is going to be a top five pick. But on the offensive side, the tight end Brock Bowers, I think, might be the Mm -hmm. best offensive player in this football game. Unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable what Georgia has 
uh, accumulated o- uh, over the years under Kirby Smart. And DJ, going back to our time in the league, we used to always talk about Georgia being a must-see destination. You got to go and see the talent, but they couldn't necessarily put it together as a team. Well, now they got it going in spades. Like, they not only have premier talent, uh, they've done a great job of developing the talent and maximizing what they have. And it reminds me of those old days when we used to go to USC and have to spend three days looking at all of the guys because you can't look at the defense without paying attention to the freshman that is making plays or the sophomore that's making plays that's not eligible. And so you're so distracted by just, I mean, just the the overwhelming talent that they have. And I think that's the thing about Georgia. But I think even beyond that, when you dig deeper and you examine Georgia and the reason behind their success, everyone talks about the recruiting. But I'll talk about the development and I'll talk about what they say happens in practice throughout the course of the week. If you're around the Georgia program, they talk about Bloody Tuesday. They're Tuesday practices where they go ones versus ones. They put the ball out and they compete. And they talk about how iron sharpens iron and how they get better doing that. I think you see that. I think it comes out in their play. I think the game with Ohio State were two teams that were similar in terms of the collection of talent. And I don't think Georgia played their best game, but they were able to win. But when you have that kind of talent, man, every scout is going to check out this game because regardless of what we think may happen with them versus TCU, you just got to appreciate how much talent Georgia has and the fact that they have an opportunity to be a back-to-back champion. Yeah, and I, I want to get back over to Jalen Carter here real quick. Um, Buck, he is he is dynamic. I mean, his his cross-face move, you see him jump gaps. Like, he'll line up in, in the C gap, and next thing you know, how the heck did he get to the A gap? Like, he just kind of transports his way in there. He's got, he's got cross-face moves. His change of direction is ridiculous. He can really bend. He can flip his hips. Once he gets clear of you, he can flip his hips. I'm looking at at the, the DTs the last few years. He's better than Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt, who were first-rounders last year. Mm-hmm. He's better than uh, Barmore, who was the top D-tackle in 21. Um, he's better mm-hmm. than Derek Brown, who I loved uh, coming out of Auburn. Uh, Kinlaw was in that draft Auburn. class as well. He's better than him. Quinnen Williams, I gave Quinnen Williams a huge grade. Just off of uh, you know the ability level, I yeah. would take Jalen over him. Um, and I, that's close, but I would take I would take Jalen Carter. And Quinnen Williams has got, what, 12 sacks this year? He's an unbelievable player. Uh, that's how good this kid is. This kid is really, really talented. I mean, going all the way back to that class, when we talk about Quinnen Williams, there was serious conversation about him being the best player in that draft class. Like, he was a dominant player. And even though him and Bosa. he was a bit yeah, of a that was the debate. just because of the production. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like he, he was a dominant inside player. And now we're seeing with the Jets, he's unlocked and untapped that potential, had his first Pro Bowl year. And so when you think about Carter and what Carter can do, and you think about the game and the way it's changing, we here on the podcast have talked about to be a dominant defense in this league, you need to have at least one outside rusher, but you also need to have someone inside that can give you immediate penetration and disruption. Carter has that. Plays the run, can get after the passer, does a lot of good things. And I, I, I look, I can't give Georgia enough praise in terms of just how they develop their players, how physically tough their players are. And let's be honest, their players play well in the National Football League. And so it's one of those things that you look at. Some programs have the secret sauce. And right now, the Kirby Smart, they have the secret sauce for real when it comes to developing players. Yeah, we go to flip it over to TCU. Keep an eye on Dylan Horton. Uh, coming off a monster game, defensive lineman. He's big time, big time athlete. He's six four. Oh, yeah. He's two hundred seventy plus pounds. Had four sacks. Get four sacks in that game in the semifinal game. So against Michigan, he has four sacks. The game before that in the conference championship game, he has two sacks. He's got six sacks in his last two games. 
Um, he is a really, really interesting player. I believe he's going to be at the Senior Bowl as well, so we'll get a chance to see him down there. Uh, but that is a big-time dude to keep an eye on. There's a lot of good players on that TCU defense. It's a good it's a good football team. They're well-represented in the All-Star games. You're going to see them well-represented uh, in the draft. You go mm-hmm. offensively. Uh, you know, Max Duggan, I haven't done all the tape on him yet. I mean, the toughness is unquestionable, the, the playmaking. You know, some of the consistency, mm-hmm. just accuracy-wise, you know, that's going to be the question mark on him. This will be a good opportunity for him in this ball game. Uh, but when you're looking at receivers, uh, Quentin Johnson might be the first one taken. Uh, height, weight, speed, long strider. Um, he can really go. It'll be fun to watch that matchup with him and Ringo. I think Ringo matches up better stylistically with Quentin Johnson uh, than he would have, and we saw that last week with Marvin Harrison Jr. I think, you know, kind of, you know, long vertical speed, on-schedule plays, I think mm-hmm. Keely Ringo will have a better opportunity in this one after getting kind of his lunch handed to him last week. Yeah, now those guys from Ohio State were real. But TCU speed, TCU speed really appeared yeah. to over, uh, overwhelm uh, Michigan on the perimeter. You saw the big plays, the explosive plays. That's what we talked about. Going back to a conversation we had years ago with Matt Rule, he talked about in the Big 12, the track meet that exists because the spread offenses and those things. You see that play out in real time with TCU. And so um, – it, it, it'd be a great matchup. And I think we always love seeing these kinds of matchups when you're scouts and you're val- evaluating top talents. You want to see best play best uh, because it gives you a closer uh, feel or a glimpse of what it may be at the next level. Uh, this would be a, a great game because what you have is the speed of TCU dealing with the power and the physicality of Georgia. And even though TCU is a physical team in its own right, you'll see these contrasting styles. And in a one-and-done game, in a single elimination tournament where you only need to be the better team on that day, yeah, TCU certainly has a puncher's chance because they knocked out Michigan. They certainly can knock out Georgia if Georgia doesn't bring their A game. Yeah, no doubt. I'm looking forward to watching this one. We'll have a recap for you after it's over on next week's pod. We'll also have a layout of the postseason. We'll probably have some coaching uh, moves, maybe some general manager moves announced next week as well. Uh, We're always going to be on top of that stuff for you. So I hope you guys have enjoyed hanging with us today. Again, our uh, our thoughts and prayers go out uh, to the Hamlin family. Again, encouraging news we have at the time we're recording this. Hopefully that continues in that positive direction. Uh, Buck, you're the best, man. It's good to see you. I look forward to being with you in person here next week. And then go handle your business with your Jag so we can get this Move the Sticks uh, uh, bowl uh, reintroduced here to the podcast family here. Let's get that done. Go get a win, all right? Oh, man, a lot of be fun. A lot of be fun. Hopefully, hopefully, Jackson, go get it. Hopefully, you can go do it.